0: Good morning. So good to see you here today. As, uh, as you probably noticed and heard, apparently the COVID is back and we just thought we had escaped a little bit and now it's kind of back a little bit stronger than it was, but that's okay. We can, we can do the kind of things we need to do to be able to get together, to worship God together. And that's why we're here today. We're very glad that you've joined us here. And if you're joining us online, we're very glad that you are joining us online as well. So yesterday, the 4th of July, I don't know what you did, but lots of people did different things and lots of fireworks. And if you lived out in the country, it sounded like World War III. It was pretty amazing.
1: But yesterday, I had
0: an interesting discussion with some friends. And it went kind of like this. When did Bluebell start? No, it's in Brenham, Texas, right? And I remember Bluebell for the very first time uh, somewhere around 1981 when I went to school at A&M. And Bluebell ice cream, has, just out of curiosity, has anybody in this audience never heard of Bluebell? It's a question that, uh, that we. it's just kind of like, well, water, running water, inside plumbing and Bluebell. It's all part of our normal culture. And Bluebell's pretty awesome, wouldn't you think? Pretty amazing. How many of you have had Bluebell in the last two weeks? Yeah, that's what I figured, well over half of you. Did you know that Bluebell started in 1907? But it really wasn't until about 1980 that it began to expand out of, out of Brenham, Texas. And, and Bluebell is just highly regarded. In some circles, bluebell might even be considered to be the most amazing thing out there. And there are some times of the day when I have a bowl of bluebell that I think to myself, "Mm, it's pretty amazing. And it's funny how we think about those things being so incredible. But there's something so much greater. I want to read to you today from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen bluebell is just a little thing. God is not. And that's the God that we're here to worship today. Let's be standing for our first song in the opening prayer. Father, we're grateful that you created ice cream for us to enjoy. And Father, we hope that we never lose sight of the really, truly significant things in life your creation, your love, your dedication to us, your tolerance of us at times, and especially your forgiveness and for your grace and for your mercy. Father, help us to be a people who shine your light into this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray.
2: All hail the power of Jesus' name.
3: Let us go to our father in prayer father as our thoughts recently have been on our earthly freedoms we want to thank you that today we are living a free nation and that we can freely assemble to worship with our brothers and sisters but most importantly we want to thank you for the freedoms that we have in christ because of the sacrifice of your son we have all spiritual blessings and redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins these are troubled times that we live in we ask you father for a hedge of protection around us and our families from the violence and from the covid 19. please be with all the medical people who are on the front lines give them the energy and the will to keep going Please be with our teachers, firemen, our police, military, and our country leaders. Father, many in our world are facing tremendous hardships, loss of job, loss of health, loss of loved ones. Help us to gird ourselves with the whole armor of God so that we can be readily and able to stand our ground as we face these issues putting our trust in you, and help us to remember that, as in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, says, we are to cast all of our worries on you because you care for us. At this time, we want to lift up the names of those that have lost loved ones, Charlotte Hopkins and the loss of her husband, Jess, Frida Starr and the loss of her mother, Jean McKinney. Miranda Condor and the loss of her grandmother, Winona Shankle. Debbie Elrod and the loss of her mother, Blanche Daughtry. Also, we are mindful of Misty Ford's husband, Cecil, Jenny Wicks and her upcoming surgery, Mary June Goodson, Phil Martz, Callie Huff, Robin Collier, and all the others that are on our prayer and care list. We offer a prayer of thanks that Callie has done so well after her transplant and that Robin has showed signs of improvement. Please be with us as we seek to do your will and as we strive to live holy, acceptable lives. Help our light to shine. Grant us your perfect peace. Help us to be a people that are loving, devoted, caring, forgiving, patient, kind, Compassionate, serving, comforting, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. And during this worship, may our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs encourage one another. For we come before you with freedom and without fear because of our faith in Jesus. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
4: our minds for the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing 221 followed by 222. There'll be very little break in between the songs. Each has just one verse, so if the guys in the back will be aware of that. I'll pause very little between the two. And then I hope you don't mind, I'll be very brief, but 222, there's just something about that name. was the favorite song of an elder at the Central Church of Christ in Cleburne, Texas by the name of Roy McLaurin. Roy was a, an elder in the church and also was the benevolence minister he was actually killed in a tragic accident while doing some carpentry work uh, for someone in need in the community. He was a very close friend of mine. He gave me a New American Standard Bible I still use. And uh, he signed it for me. And he also performed the wedding of Tammy and I. And I say that to say, you know, the communion unites us all together. Um, And I think it's important sometimes to remember the faithful who've gone on before us and encourage us, even to this day my old friend, Roy McLaurin. All right, let's sing together. Enough of my stories. But I just had to mention his name, so I hope you don't mind.
2: Jesus, name above all names, beautiful say.
5: In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus gave the parable of the sower, he told about some of the seed that fell among the thorns and were choked out. Then he explained that that seed represents people are the soil represents people who receive the word. But the troubles of this life and the deceitfulness of riches crowd it out and choke it out. And they never mature and never become productive in the kingdom. This day and time gives us a lot of cares and troubles and stress and a lot of thorns that, if we're not careful, can crowd out our spiritual growth and our maturing in Christ. It takes a lot of effort to overcome those things. We have the COVID 19. We have the violence. We have all of the things that we can think about going on in society. In addition, we have the personal struggles in our lives from sickness and health issues and that sort of thing. But, you know, in the early church, they were struggling as well with a lot of concerns and troubles and trials and tribulation. And Paul addressed that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 he talked about some of the things that that they were dealing with and then he said we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away we are being renewed day by day we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I think that's the secret for our not letting the, th- the thorns crowd us out and our spiritual growth out. One of the, the things that helps us to think about spiritual matters is partaking of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we tend to emphasize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Rightly so, because that is the heart and soul of the gospel. It's the crux of our religion. But you know, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper in that upper room, after he had given thanks for the bread and for the wine, he said, remember me. I think he had more in mind than just the death, burial, and resurrection. I think we all understand that. All of the facts of Jesus' life and teaching are worthy of our remembrance. And I want to remember, remember and to mention just a few of those things this morning. First thing I think about is his majesty and power. And we've sang songs about that already this morning. He was in heaven. He was part of the Godhead before time began. John 1 says that nothing that was made was made without him. He said all power had been given to him in heaven and on earth. He fulfilled the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that all nations of the world would be blessed through his seed. He introduced a new way of thinking and a new way of life. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter Matthew 5 through 7. He said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He faced every temptation just as we face without sin he went about doing good he embodied and demonstrated all of the fruit of the spirit that are mentioned in Galatians 5 he taught his followers to think spiritually to be concerned about the matters of God instead of the matters of men they were in the world but not of the world He denied himself and always did the Father's will even when faced with torture and death upon the cross. He endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him. He knew he had finished the job. He had reconciled man to God and he could see heaven down the road. We also can endure the trials and the struggles and temptations that we face today if we keep our sights upon the spiritual goal. Jesus conquered death and was raised to rule over all creation. He sits now at the right hand of God. He will come again to take his faithful followers to their eternal home. To me, this is a great encouragement especially in times of struggles and stress like we are in now, to remember these things and to not let the weeds and the thorns choke out our spiritual matters. It's hard for me as a materialistic individual to think about the Spirit, but I'm working on it. And I think the more that we can keep those things in mind, the greater our life is going to be. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you loved us. And we're so thankful for your mercy and your grace. We're so thankful for your son Jesus who came and lived as a man and died on the cross that we might have hope. We might have hope for resurrection and hope to spend eternity with you in heaven. And Father, as we participate this morning in your supper, as we break the bread, we pray that we will remember Jesus and all of the good things that you've blessed us with through his name. This I pray through Christ. Amen. Join with me in prayer again. Father, we thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Father, we realize that we're sinners, and without that blood being shed to cleanse us of our sins, that we have no hope. But in Christ, we have every hope, and we're so grateful. Thank you, dear Lord, for loving us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We don't have men passing trays down the aisle or through the aisles and most of us have left our contribution in the collection tray in the foyer. Many of you have taken care of it online, through the mail, dropped it off at the office and that's great. We've been talking about the great blessings that we have in Christ and Let us thank God at this time as as we think about the contribution, and we pray that we will be generous and glad that we are able to participate in that and to spread the gospel and to assist with the needs of others. Pray with me. Dear God, we are so blessed to live in a free country. And we are reminded this weekend of the blessings of that country and help us not to take those freedoms for granted, but help us to realize that our true blessings are not here in this life, but our true blessings are in heaven, where all of the promises that we expect will be fulfilled in your presence. Help us as we contribute to your cause that we may be generous and we pray that the monies will be used to spread the gospel and to bless those who are in need. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: Well, it's that time for our young people to pass to their classes. If you do have an interest in attending, I invite you to do so. Uh, a little bit different, we've got two songs prior to the lesson this morning. So uh, if you don't mind, if you can be standing, uh, and uh, we'll let our young people pass, and then we'll be seated for the second song. Let's sing together,
2: America the Beautiful. Oh, beautiful for spacious God forever.
4: a great lesson on the subject Jesus is worthy let us sing we will
2: We will worship him alone. He is Lord.
1: We have a lot of folks that have gathered here uh, today. Uh, Perhaps our number might be a little less than the last few weeks, which we were expecting, if that is the case. We have many uh, who are joining us online, and we welcome you as well and are grateful for for you. I know uh, our elders uh, have sent out a note uh, yesterday uh, in response to the uh, governor's uh, new executive uh, order this past week. Uh, calling on uh, Texans to wear our masks while we're out in public places and remember to uh, practice social distancing. Uh, There's still a lot of uh, uh, confusion that we have about this novel coronavirus, Uh, but I think one thing that there is uh, some agreement on is that this is certainly not going to hurt. If there's a chance of it helping and of also easing the anxiety of those around us, then that seems like uh, the right thing for us to do. And so I'm glad to see a lot of those uh, being warned today uh, while we were entering and leaving. And we appreciate uh, that very much and encourage you to continue uh, to do that and to continue to pray for our nation and our state and our communities, our leaders, our civil authorities as they have uh, quite a burden uh, to bear. And so we continue uh, to pray for them. We continue to pray for our own shepherds and our leaders here at West Irwin and at other uh, churches as well as we try to navigate through difficult times and through troubled waters. Uh, as was said uh, earlier, we, uh, as Danny shared around the the Lord's table, we we are not the first generation of Christians to have difficulties, and uh, our generation is not the one that has had the worst difficulties. And we understand that, but that doesn't deny the reality that uh, times are hard right now and. There are a lot of questions and a lot of confusion and a lot of anxiety, and it's a great time for us to remember uh, our blessings. I was talking with someone earlier in the year about uh, how this has helped us in some ways to remember um, to count our blessings and how this has helped us, I believe, uh, to question inside of us what is the most important part in our lives. As we've been going through this uh, uh, series that we've just begun a couple of weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer, I think today in our songs, in our prayers, and in this message, point to that. Point to that one thing that is the most important and the most significant part of our lives. So again, we're grateful for those who are here, we're grateful for those joining us online, and if... uh, Again, if as always, if you've missed the opportunity, those messages are on our website uh, under archives on our uh, live streaming page. They're on our, our church Facebook page. And um, uh, they're also, if you just want to listen, if you uh, have come to realize that Bill doesn't look any better online than he does in person and you've decided that you'd rather just go ahead and listen to the audio, then we actually have a podcast option on our live streaming page and on our uh, on our app as well. And so I hope that you will uh, uh, remember those things. You can scroll down on our live streaming page, and there is a, a little apple there that you can click on and go to uh, just the audio version uh, for a podcast of this message. Um, and as we've considered the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who are in heaven we have tried to zoom in on one word that describes that statement that part of this great prayer and so the first one father uh, of course uh, and last week as we considered our heavenly father we talked about his presence his presence uh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth in his life on this earth 2,000 years ago, and in his continuing presence in our hearts, even today, uh, through his Holy Spirit. And we spoke of that uh, last week. And so as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he affirms the holiness of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There are two aspects to that Statement: the aspect of hallowed or holiness, and the aspect of the name of God, and the significance of that. <clears throat> so that'll be our focus um, this morning. First of all, the term hallowed. Hallowed is equivalent to holy. They're very much related words, and the idea <clears throat> behind that statement, "Hallowed be your name," is holy be the name. Of God, uh, as Danny shared as we began today, that great doxology from the end of Romans 11. I love that passage so much uh, because it's it's the culmination of three chapters of. Of The Apostle Paul kind of struggling with this whole question of, okay, now that we have accepted Gentiles into the church, now that we realize that the old law is done away, and so now there's this, this new law in Christ, this new way uh, of the church, how do, we, how do we make sense of how the Jews and the non-Jews fit in now? And so he struggles with that for, um, for three whole chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And my favorite part of that is that at the end he throws up his hands and he says, I don't know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how ultimately how all of that fits together. But he says, I do know this, there is one who does. And his ways are beyond figuring out, and I'm going to be okay with that, the Apostle Paul says. And that's that great and amazing doxology that Danny read As we begin our worship time uh, today, hallowed is equivalent to holy. God is holy. Some in centuries past have called him holy other, uh, spelling it W-H-O-L-L-Y, that he is so far beyond us, and we want that. We need a God that we can't completely understand. We need a God that's greater than we are. Uh, We need a God that is worthy Uh, Not only of our trust, but also of our worship. And that is the God that we serve. God's name is already holy, though. There's never been a time when God's name wasn't holy. So what is stated here? Well, I think it's this, and that is that God's name is to be treated as holy. His name has always been holy, but his name has not and is not always treated as holy, as sacred. That term holy is a term that is uh, an adjective, and we've heard the sermons and the lessons about it means set apart, it means something special, something distinctive. And so God's people are holy in the same sense that God is holy, not worthy of worship, but a call to be a special people with a special Purpose set apart for God's use, um, and the term saint even is a term that is related to the term holy. It's actually a, a an adjective holy used as a noun, and so maybe a, a more uh, a literal translation of that term is holy one, uh, and we have translated it in many uh, circles uh, saint. God's name is to be treated as holy. It's not just holy. It's to be treated that way as well. And that begins at the very beginning. It begins in uh, the creation that we'll mention in just a little bit. And it continues on when God gives his people the law through Moses at Mount Sinai. The writer of Hebrews would later look back on that as a very... Fearful experience, the Jews being told, look, you, you don't even approach that mountain, don't even touch that mountain or else you'll die. Um, and the writer of Hebrews has a, a different point to make as he talks about how through Jesus Christ, in spite of God's holiness and righteousness, we can draw near to him now. But in Exodus 20, as God gives the Ten Commandments through Moses, he begins with the holiness of the name of God, after remembering that it's God who has delivered them. The Ten Commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waves below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then the third commandment, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God's name is to be treated as holy. He is a holy God. His name is holy. And we'll say in just a moment that God's name is a reminder and a a sign of God himself. Not just the name, but the person of God. But God's name is to be treated as holy. And Moses, that's where he begins. You shall not worship any other god but me. You shall not even worship me by worshiping an image of me, God says. And then he says, you shall honor the name of God and not abuse it and not misuse it. And why is that so important? Well, perhaps Jesus gives us the answer to that better than anyone. We turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 12, and I think Jesus gives us a couple of reasons why it is absolutely essential for us to honor the name of God and to not misuse or abuse it in what we say. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 33, Jesus says this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Verse 34. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, verse 36, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Now that, is, <laughs> that should frighten every single one of us because as James says later in the New Testament, that who can control their tongue? If you say you can control your tongue, then you're, basically you're saying, I can control everything because that's the hardest thing. And why would Jesus make such a statement? Why would he say that this is so absolutely important that everyone will be judged based on what they have said, not just what they have done, what they have said, what has come out of their mouths? Again, verse 36, and then reading verse 37 with it. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Again, why is it that this is so vital? This is so important. And I think we go back to the second part of verse 34 for the answer. Jesus says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of i've had people through the years ask me bill i i know how important it is and i know god's going to judge us based on what's in our heart but how do i know what's in my heart (laughs) and i think there are a few places in scripture where there's a little indication there's a little window that says do you want a little window into what's in your heart here it is and in this case, Jesus says that window is your words. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what is in your heart. And if in our words, we do not maintain God as being holy, then it leads to that even greater question of can we truly say then that in our hearts we regard the name of God as holy Jesus says you want to know what kind of tree it is you look at the fruit and you want to know what's in someone's heart then you listen to their words and if they're words of unkindness and if they're words of disrespect and if they're words of cruelty And if they're words of selfishness, then that gives us a little indication of what kind of heart they have. But if they're words that honor the name of God, that seek to build up rather than tear down, that seek to praise God rather than to treat his name lightly, that also tells us what is in our hearts. A few other passages are listed on our outlines, including this one from Luke six verse forty-five, which affirms what Jesus, what Matthew records Jesus is saying. In Matthew six forty-five, Luke records Jesus saying, "The mouth speaks what the heart is full of." A different way of saying the same thing. Hallowed is equivalent to holy in our speech and in our words, in our hearts, in our lives, in our worship. We are to honor the name of God. We are to worship and serve the creator in all reverence, in all holiness, in all joy. Hallowed is equivalent to holy, but there's a second part of this statement of Jesus in this prayer, and that is the name. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is equivalent to God himself. I believe in Scripture you cannot separate those two. When you read in Scripture something about the name of God or the name of Jesus, as we're going to see in several passages of Scripture in the book of Acts, it is signifying the person of God. It is signifying the person of Jesus Christ by signifying his name. We have sung some wonderful, beautiful songs today about the name of Christ and the name of God and that God's name would be glorified. And that is certainly consistent with Scripture. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives us his great commission, he tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to baptize in the name of God himself. We are to baptize by the authority of God himself. That is what that name, that statement, that phrase would reflect to the first century people who heard that. And even to us today, if someone comes in the name of someone else, we realize that they are fully representing them. That it's as if that person were here themselves. And so when Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's what he's saying. Baptize them by the authority of God himself. But I want us to turn to a few chapters in the book of Acts, starting in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. We've been talking about the book of Acts in my Facebook live study on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. on my Facebook page. Many of you have been... um, Viewing some of those and have given me a lot of great encouragement in that. In Acts chapter 2, of course, the apostles are given the great gift, extraordinary gift of the Holy Spirit. They begin to teach and preach in the name of the resurrected Jesus for the first time. And so, as a part of that, Luke records Peter's sermon. And Peter says this in Acts 2 verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what does that mean? That means calling on Jesus Christ himself, calling on the name of the Lord. And then we see that when he makes his point and and expresses what the response of faith is. Beginning in verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And then Acts 2 verse 38 says this, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. They were to be baptized in the name of the one they had just crucified less than two months before. The one that God had raised from the dead. The one, as Peter said, that God made both Lord and Christ. The one that Paul says was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection, Jesus Christ our Lord. This, there's no contradiction between Matthew 28 and Acts 2. Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter says in in Acts 2, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Both are effective, both are completely biblical, both are completely scriptural. Why? Because the significance is not what is said at the baptism. The significance is, is what is in that person's heart. Are they being baptized as an act of faith? Is this something that they are doing because of their belief in Jesus Christ? Because they have decided to repent, to to change their lives. And they have made that statement of confession to let everyone there know that that's what they believe. Then they are baptized by the authority of the one who lived and died and was raised for us. They are being baptized in the name of God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. The name of God is equivalent to God himself and is so significant as we keep reading in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles heal this man and it becomes a big mess for the Jews. Acts chapter 3 verse 6, they've seen this man uh, who has been lame and uh, lame from birth and over 40 years old. And in Acts 3, verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And you can't shut him up after that. The guy is standing, he's jumping, he's dancing, he's shouting, he's doing everything in the world to praise God. Because for the first time in his life, he can do those things well as you would figure that's not going to sit too well with the jewish leaders and so if we skip down in acts 3 to verse 16 by faith in the name of jesus This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Like any good preacher, Peter's going to use that moment to preach the gospel to tell people why this happened and what it means to them. And he does. Letting them know clearly it is in the name of Jesus that this has happened. Well, in chapter 4, they're dragged before uh, the Jewish leaders uh, Peter and John are and they're questioned as to how they could do this and why they did this and so Peter responds in verse 8 of Acts 4 rulers and elders of the people or if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed then know this <laughs> I think what Peter is referring to there is that is the most ridiculous question I could ever dream of you're asking me why we did a good thing here you're asking why we healed this man gave this man the ability to walk and run and jump and dance for the first time in his life and that's why we're on trial here well as ridiculous as that question is peter says i'll be glad and honored to answer it verse 10 of acts 4 then know this You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We skip down to Acts 4, verses 18 and 19. Then, after deliberating, the Jewish leaders call Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. then down to verse 29 now lord as the church gathers to pray they pray this consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant jesus Chapter 5 continues that same message. All of the apostles this time are out preaching. All of the apostles are arrested. The Spirit delivers them. They're arrested the very next day, except now it's not just threats to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now they are beaten and flogged. And for the first time, Christians are persecuted in a physical way for trusting in and acknowledging and worship and speaking in the name of of Jesus Christ. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the holy diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Hallowed is equivalent to holy. The name of God is equivalent to God Himself. And lastly, today, Jesus' words are a statement against idolatry. We go back to Exodus 20. We go back to worshiping no other gods but him. Jesus' words are a statement against idolatry. And I want to make a couple of applications of that. First, there are more obvious idols. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens, and he's looking around in in first century Greece and and seeing all these altars to all of these gods that are not gods at all. And he challenges them on that. In the Old Testament, the prophets time and time and time again accused Israel of committing spiritual adultery, of of leaving, worshiping, and serving the one true and living God for something that is not God at all. Isaiah especially clearly condemns that, but they all do. And there are more obscure idols. There are some obvious ones like that kind of concrete idolatry worshiping wood and stone but there are more obscure idols jesus says in matthew 6 verse 21 for no one can serve two masters he'll be faithful to one and despise the other or he'll be devoted to the other and despise the first but you cannot serve god and money in the context of matthew 6 and it's the same context with which the rich young ruler in matthew 19 will not obey christ Rather, he will hear what Jesus has to say and challenge, when he challenges him to leave the God he was serving. That materialism and to give it all up to serve him, he wouldn't do it. And so we're reminded of Matthew 6, verse 33, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That parable that was mentioned earlier, the parable of the thorns, that particular part of ground in the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils primarily. The thorns are these obscure idols that get in the way, as Danny shared, in our communion time. And they could be a lot of things. They could be money. They could be status, um, popularity. If you're a, a, a young person, a teen, status at work, status in the community, position, They can be even family members that we place above God. They can be even our own country and our own political view. That too can take the place of God. We've been reminded of that, especially over these past few months as we have tried to make sense of everything that's going on. And in the midst of all of that, In the midst even of celebrating our independence, which I'm so very glad we did and do, it's a reminder for us again that we serve one who is God and that there is only one name who is to be hallowed, that is holy. I shared some thoughts about this in my Facebook devotional on the 4th of July yesterday. And we've sung about it today. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who alone is the Great I Am. Let's watch out for those more obscure idols that get in our way, that are thorns in our path and in our ground that we may not initially see. And that Satan uses to take us away from the one who is worthy of our worship. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. The name of Jesus. So a few scripture passages and then we'll close. First of all, Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created heaven and the earth. 2 Timothy 3, that passage that talks about how the word of God is inspired, God breathed and is profitable for all of these things so that we can be thoroughly furnished and equipped for every good work. And then the call is to preach and teach that word. Finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. The importance of the death, burial, and resurrection. Because the all of Christianity stands or falls on that. If there is no resurrection, then we our faith is vain. Our hope is vain. We have no credibility, Paul says, and he is right. Does it change anything in your life that God created you? Does it change anything in your life that this is his word? Does it change anything in your life that that tomb is empty? Those all point to making holy and treating as holy the name of God. Hallowed be your name. God and God's name should be treated as holy. Due honor and reverence and worship should be given to God and only God in our lives, in our families, in the church, and in the world. Only the name of God, God himself, is to be hallowed and is worthy of our reverence and our worship. God alone is holy. God alone Is worthy of our reverence, of our worship. And so, as we have sung and as we have prayed today, we end repeating that prayer glorify thy name in all the earth. This morning, if we can help you honor and glorify and remain to keep hallowed the name of Christ, come as we stand. And sing together.
2: On bended knee I come, with a humble heart I come, bowing down.
4: so much, Bill. Great job today and uh, our God is holy and our nation continues to be blessed. Let's close uh, with uh, one verse of step by step and then we'll have our closing prayer.
1: we do pray these songs that we have sung today that your name would be kept holy and be glorified not just in our world not just in our nation not just in our community but first of all father in our own hearts individually and as a church family and so father we commit to you today that step by step you will lead us and we will follow you all of our days In the great, majestic, wonderful name of Jesus our Savior, we pray and offer this worship today. Amen.